welcome to the Acupuncture Outsider podcast. My name is Richard Hazel, and in the time it takes for you to commute to or from work, I hope to have shared something of interest about orthopedic acupuncture using motor points, trigger points, myofascial slings, neurofunctional acupuncture, segmental treatments, anything that crosses my mind that seems to be of interest. I hope you'll enjoy it. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Acupuncture Outsider. This is Richard Hazel sending this message to you from Sydney, Australia. Uh, Normally I like to put my episodes out on the weekend but I spent my weekend in the air flying to Sydney to teach um, a course about the lumbopelvic hip complex and um, the lower extremity issues of those areas of the body. And um, so I thought I would do something somewhat relevant to that topic, Um, a little bit of a thought experiment about the TFL and low back pain. Um, On the plane over, I was thinking a lot about um, how I could do better to teach the way the body responds to pain and overuse injury and aging. And as I probably said before, um, I consider aging to be a form of overuse injury. It's really just how much mileage we're putting on our body and how it responds to that. And the most common ways that it responds to that is muscle shortening. Um, If you know the Yanda cross patterns, you know that tonic muscles are prone to shortening. Our postural muscles are in constant use. They're a low level of of use. throughout the day and those muscles will respond by shortening over time leading to those cross patterns Um, so I wanted to just do a little bit of a thought experiment about how I look at um, assessment and treatment as you may have heard me say before I feel like um, if you're using muscle testing in order to know what to treat you're you're not yet at a good level for um, helping the tough cases because in order to help the tough cases you can't just muscle test you have to know what how the body responds to pain and injury Um, or, or you're just not going to know where to look when you're stumped so in order to do a better job at that. I just want to start delving a little bit more into how I look at assessment uh, so that I can help the people that, for instance, I maybe can't do muscle testing on. Um, If you treat a lot of seniors, I I treat a lot of seniors and sometimes they can barely get on the table. They're they're, extremely obese, they're um, weak, they're in excruciating pain. Um, Just being older makes them less mobile. 
So if you're going to treat somebody in their 70s and 80s, don't count on being able to do a lot of muscle testing to figure out what's going on. You have to actually know what the problem is in advance, and some of that you've got to gather just by questions. You've just got to be able to ask them, like, when does it hurt? Where does it hurt? Can you point to where it hurts? What makes it better? What makes it worse? What movements are you unable to do? What's your history of injury? Do you get numbness or tingling? Do you have um, any other symptoms that you can think of related to their problem so that you can figure it out without having to do muscle testing? And, and I really feel like that's essential for us to be able to assess uh, without a lot of muscle testing uh, for those reasons. The other thing is if you're, if you're treating athletes, you're treating professional athletes, you're treating bodybuilders, your muscle testing will not necessarily reveal a problem because they're strong and they're probably stronger than you are. So you could test something that's dysfunctional and they would still be strong or at least stronger than you are. And that's not a, that's, that's not going to lead you to understand the problem. You have to actually know how the body fails and know when you need to treat synergists that are not testing weak, but that can cause a postural dysfunction. Um, they can cause a postural issue that leads to dysfunction. For instance, um, hip flexors are prone to getting short. So if you're muscle testing, just because something is testing strong doesn't mean it's not short, especially for someone who's a pro athlete. Um, for instance, like the psoas could be short, and it probably is short. Anybody who's having um, inhibition of glute max, very likely a lot of that inhibition is caused by uh, shortening of the hip flexors. So when you're trying to help somebody to get their glutes firing better, not only would you be using electric stim on the glutes, but you should be considering the the hip flexors that are inhibiting the glute max. And, and you may not test weak on rectus femoris or perhaps psoas or TFL, but you should still be treating those synergists um, as a hip flexor group because you're going to improve their posture, which will help to not reciprocally inhibit the glutes. Um, so I wanted to go through this thought experiment. And, I, you know, something I always noticed um, in, in Facebook groups for orthopedic acupuncture is somebody posts a tough case and they'll, they'll give the symptoms and they'll talk about, you know, maybe whatever's, whatever they tried already, what failed, and they need some advice. And sometimes the people that I think they're counting on to give them that advice are um, telling them, oh, you know, you didn't test enough. You didn't, you didn't test enough of the muscles. So go back and test the muscles and then come back to me. And, you know, sometimes those people are new they're really new to orthopedics they they don't know all the muscle tests and 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 again like you know muscle testing isn't a, you know necessarily going to reveal the problem um especially if they're treating somebody who's very strong so they would be left with basically no help um and a lot of times i would i would put something in the comment section to say, you know, test this, check this one muscle, like test this one muscle, like coracobrachialis. 
um, stop fretting about uh, all of the underlying instabilities of the scapular stabilizers. Get the person out of pain. Then you can worry about all of that stuff. Um, and I, and I, it would, to me, it just it, feel, it felt a bit frustrating that I felt like, you know, um, these people, especially who are new, who have patients, real people who are in pain, and this is their only hope, probably. And, and we're telling them to go back and, you know, fully assess the shoulder girdle before I can give you an answer. No, I really don't feel like that we should have to do that. If you, for instance, if it is anterior shoulder pain, there are certain things that are going to cause anterior shoulder pain in a huge percentage of people. And if that person went through all of this functional testing and then, and they come back and they say, I don't know what I'm not, what I'm missing. Well, you know, if you didn't, say anything in your post about coracobrachialis and they have anterior shoulder pain i'm going to say that's like 80 percent of the time that's like a huge reason for anterior shoulder pain what you know one maybe you didn't need to even uh do a muscle test for it push on it if it hurts <laughs> it's probably the cause of anterior shoulder pain and i feel completely fine in the comment section telling them check the coracobrachialis it's it's um it's very likely the problem and then you know i would see all the people who want they don't want to get anybody ripping on them for you know not being thorough enough and exact enough and mentioning possible cervical compression or the underlying serratus anterior weakness or perhaps the infraspinatus uh, tendon is causing anterior shoulder pain but you know blah 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 if the person has already you know done muscle testing and they're lost this is what i'm going to tell you you know anterior shoulder pain look at coracobrachialis so and i really think you know a lot of times um we we should understand more how the body fails and then you can muscle test if you really need to show the patient you know what you're thinking but i'm very transparent with my thinking on patients i'll say my initial um, assessment is X, Y, and Z. This is what I think is going on. If that turns out to not be what I'm thinking, then I think we need to look at X, Y, and Z for this reason. But I want you to know upfront what I'm really, what I think is going on. And if you're feeling better from it, then this is the course of action we'll take. And if you're not feeling better, then I will adjust my treatment according to what you tell me is still going on and we'll go from there um and i i feel like this this builds a lot of trust with the patient because you've been transparent that you don't claim to know everything and you also are letting them know that there are logical reasons why you're going to do what you're doing and you're explaining the logic and then if it isn't helpful then you're also explaining that logic um, and a lot of times what I'll tell people is if you're feeling better from the treatment, but there's still something that's not quite right, there may be some restriction in the muscle that's called a trigger point. You may have some muscle shortening um, that's just not releasing. And then we'll have to address that separately as a, you know, with a different technique where I'm going to get that muscle to twitch without any electric stim. And that will release the fibers and that could take a couple sessions to get it, you know, really well released. But I want you to know up front, very likely you're going to feel much better from today's treatment. And when I see you next, we'll make adjustments accordingly. Also know that if I'm releasing muscles that have been short and tight for a long time, 
And once they're released, you actually may have better mobility and then be able to feel something else that's tight and short that's causing you some pain. So because this is a chronic issue, this is a process. And, and I want you to know up front that, you know, what I'm going to treat today is based on what you're presenting with and based on how you improve, you may find something else in a different area that you can't feel right now. Um, and that's really how I like to talk to my patients and explain things. And, and I don't just, you know, want them to lie on the table and just, you know, muscle test everything and then treat what's weak. Um, cause, cause you can have a lot of weak muscles that aren't contributing to the pain as well, but let's do my little thought, thought experiment. This is going to be about how the TFL can cause low back pain. So we, the first thing that I would want to talk about would be Yonda's lower cross, right? Uh, hip flexors, putting an anterior pelvic tilt that will inhibit the glutes cause the low back muscles to have to overwork. And of course, as, as we've talked about before, those uh, the spinal erector aponeurosis that comes down into the sacrum is attempting to stabilize the SI joint. The glute max is supposed to be primary stabilizer. Glute max medius um, come into that sacrotuberous ligament to stabilize the SI joint. When, when the glute max is failing, then the piriformis and deep rotators will shorten and tighten because they're trying to stabilize. The hamstrings will tighten because they're trying to stabilize the SI joint via the sacrotuberous ligament. But it completely fits into the yonda pattern of, of lower cross. The abs become weak. The glute max becomes weak. The uh, hip flexors get tight. The spinal erectors get tight. Puts it puts a person into an anterior pelvic tilt. It puts more strain on the low lumbar area, and because of that stabilization issue, you will have spinal erectors and QL start to get super tight. I would say also you could you could add that the glute medius is prone to getting tight with trigger points um, when the glute max is not firing as well. But we're talking about the TFL. So the TFL which is an internal rotator and a hip flexor and a hip abductor pelvic stabilizer can become tight and usually does become tight on most people. So one of the things that can cause low back pain from a tight TFL besides the anterior pelvic tilt that I just talked about would be its role in lateral stabilization. So pelvic stabilization is when this pelvis is being held in, in alignment with the horizon while on one leg. When you walk, um, you're often um, not on, on a single leg. However, there is some pelvic stabilization involved. Running is a case where you're landing on one leg only at a time. You have the float phase and you're landing on one leg. So you see a lot of dysfunction of the TFL in runners, but it's, it's helping to stabilize the pelvis for all of us, even just shifting weight left and right, maybe just standing in line at the, at the grocery store, um, shifting your weight. You, you are using those, those pelvic stabilizers, the glute medius, the gluteus minimus, and the TFL. Those muscles are helping to stabilize the hip and contralateral to that, the QL 
on the opposite side is going to help keep the pelvis stabilized, especially when the pelvic stabilization is weak on the abductors. So, so you've got a tight TFL. Why does the TFL get tight from a, from a lateral stabilization perspective? You've got the gluteus medius that is supposed to help stabilize the pelvis. You know the Trendelenburg test. If not, please Google it. I'm not going to explain it right now, but but because that Trendelenburg um, effect is is that the the uh, pelvic stabilization is weak, so you have a little bit of a a drooping hip on the opposite side. The QL can engage to lift the hip back up because what does the QL do? It's a lateral flexor. It's a, a spinal erector, it, I mean, extensor. It can extend the lumbar and it helps to, it can hike the hip. So if you're standing and you want to lift your left hip without, um, you want to lift, you want to hike your left hip and lift your foot off the ground without bending your knee, your QL is going to do that. It's going to lift the pelvis up. So it has a function in pelvic stabilization, and it tends to overwork when the lateral, um, the um, abductors and are, are dysfunctional on the opposite side. So when your glute med is weak, your TFL and your glute minimus have become tight because they're overworking to stabilize the pelvis, then the contralateral QL can get tight because it has to work harder to keep your pelvis in alignment. And that's essential because otherwise we're tripping, right? We've got to keep our pelvis in alignment so that that contralateral QL can get overworked, overused, and sore, achy. And it can eventually have trigger points that are going to cause a lot of pain. So uh, on this one instance, after, so we've got the lower cross anterior pelvic tilt from a tight TFL, right? That puts more strain on the low back. It inhibits the glutes, causing more work for the low back and the hamstrings. And then you've got the lateral pelvis, uh, lateral stabilization um, possibility where the TFL has become tight. And now the contralateral QL has to work to lift the pelvis and that can cause a um, QL issue. And, and it's something you can always consider if you have a patient where you've resolved their QL tension and they're feeling better, but when, when they come back in, this one side keeps getting tight and you know, really good to check if that contralateral hip abduction is, is weakening for some reason, probably trigger points, um, because if it's coming back regularly, there's, there's some dysfunction in there probably some sort of, you know, muscle fiber dysfunction, um, tight bands and, and trigger points. Okay. And then what other things could the TFL do that would cause low back pain? Well, if you have somebody who has some SI joint pain that's being caused by piriformis being too tight or possibly piriformis and the gemellus and obturator external, uh, internus, muscles all being short and tight because they're they are trying to stabilize the SI joint due to a weak glute max then you have short external rotators 
in the hip, these, these four external rotators, very likely piriformis is the primary one that would cause like an SI joint pain. Then you have the, because they're external rotate, you know, they're, they're, joint, they're stabilizers. They're also uh, horizontal abductors, but they are, their antagonist as rotators of the hip would be the TFL and the gluteus minimus, which can internally rotate the hip. So you've got the external rotators, the piriformis, the gemellus, the obturator internus that are external rotators, including, and you could, you could count the quadratus femoris, but those are, those are our external rotators that are in the glute area. And then you've got, uh, they're fighting against a tight TFL and gluteus minimus, which are doing internal rotation. And gluteus minimus and the TFL, I've mentioned it before, they work together. They should be treated together because they function together. The, the gluteus minimus is like the, you know, the, the little sibling of the TFL. And they even share fibers on many people. So the gluteus minimus, sometimes if you're treating the motor point of the gluteus minimus, you will see the TFL firing. You might see the rectus femoris or the vastus lateral, lateralis firing because on some percentage of the human population, they share fibers with, uh, together. So, you know, we give them all separate names, but they, they're, on many of us, there are overlap. There's overlap of these muscles. So um, gluteus minimus and the TFL should, should almost always be treated together as if there's a dysfunction and you're trying to help um, either hip abduction or hip internal rotation, then I would treat them together. Um, so when the TFL is tight and then the gluteus minimus is tight because they work together, they're putting internal rotation on the hip. And so what is going to keep your toe from turning in while you're trying to walk? the external rotators in the hips, so piriformis, those gemellus and obturator internus to some degree, quadratus femoris, all of those can correct for a, a bit of an internal torque on the hip. And that's gonna keep you walking normally. Uh, but they're fighting each other. And then, you know, I'm not gonna get into hip issues, but, but you know, a lot of times, pain over the greater trochanter is this battle of the external and internal rotators and that's how i would always address um, pain over the greater trochanter but you know back to how does the tfl cause low back pain it could be putting strain on the piriformis which is then causing pain at at the piriformis attachment to the sacrum right by the si joint so a lot of times people are rubbing right there in that si joint area with pain and of course, that pain at the SI joint can be from the spinal erectors, the spinal erector aponeurosis, um, but very often it's from a short tight piriformis that's, that's loaded with trigger points, tight, tight bands. So it's gotten so short and so tight that just standing will cause pain at the SI joint for people. Um, so... Um, I think I covered everything that I wanted to cover for the TFL, but this is how the TFL can cause low back pain. And it should be considered in, in those three different uh, variations for causes for low back pain. And when we think about 
the way the body works and we understand the actions of the muscles how they interact with their antagonists what are their antagonists and i didn't mention adductors but you know tight tfl can definitely cause problems with adductors as well um, that's less likely to be a low back pain issue but but understanding the antagonists of the tfl for all sorts of hip dysfunction um, is very important and even you know maybe you could even make an argument like from the lower cross syndrome perspective um, tfl is tight overworking and now weak because a tight muscle is weak right short tight muscle is weaker what if somebody has a tight tfl and they have they have to do a lot of uh, i don't know say stair climbing maybe they're a cyclist maybe they like to do stationary bike or something like that maybe especially as a cyclist because you're bending forward maybe they're getting overuse of the psoas maybe the psoas is starting to get shorter and tighter due to tension in the tfl that's already short and tight now you're getting that low back pain from a tight psoas that's secondary to a tight tfl the tfl got tight first now the psoas has to work harder now the psoas is getting short and tight now it's pulling on the front of the lumbar vertebrae causing low back pain around that l4 l5 because of that the psoas pulling so so strongly and creating um more lordosis in the low back than is normal so you have low back pain from a tight psoas that started with tension in the tfl so that's that's my thought experiment for today i just like to sort of put that in your head like plant a seed think about pick a muscle that you know causes a joint dysfunction you know like low back pain shoulder pain neck pain and think about all the ways that dysfunction in that muscle could lead to the chief complaint that you're you're looking at and really i feel like those ex those thought experiments um will not only help you to help others when they ask something in a group and maybe the people that they were counting on threw it right back at them and said go back and muscle test more um, maybe you can help them um, with this patient um, especially if they don't have a lot of background in orthopedics you may be able to help them if you have thought through the different ways that uh, a short tight muscle could cause dysfunction that leads to that problem at the end of the day you know that person may be in some small town they may be the only hope for this patient and i really hate to throw back at them that they first need to go do some online webinars or something to to, to up their assessment skills before i'm going to help them um, i would prefer to think of the scenarios where what they what they're explaining could be happening and give them some options based on that for what they could look at next because when i see this sort of pain that they've described 
these are the multiple ways that this could happen to that person. And based on what they've told me, what they've missed is likely X, Y, and Z, or just X. And go check this on the patient and see if this is what they need. Because at the end of the day, you know, it's all about helping the patient. And, and for me, it's also about helping the practitioner to help the patient at whatever level they're at. And I don't want to throw back at them that they need to go learn more before I'm going to help them. And there's certainly no risk in them putting one extra needle in the, uh, the muscle that I'm telling them to try and try that. There's definitely no harm as long as the patient, I mean, as long as the, as long as the practitioner is is doing safe things, that you know, what's the problem? A two cent needle in this one muscle that I'm suggesting, and I'm not going to be embarrassed to have suggested it, um, in spite of everybody else writing tomes about how they need to test for all of the lumbar. Uh, um, restrictions or did did you do this or did they get an emg or or you know are the is the patient taking enough magnesium blah blah blah, blah. i you know when you've done the thought experiments about how these problems could come you know could happen then you're be i think just better equipped for your tough patients you're better equipped to help others um, when they get stumped because you've thought about how the body moves and the different ways that these dysfunctions can occur and i just think it makes us a better practitioner for those people who are just who are too old too obese um whatever it is they're in too much excruciating pain to be able to run them through a series of muscle tests before you even have an idea of what you should be doing um, when when you've thought about how the body works and, and how it can dysfunction how the how they could end up with this pain that they've described and then you hopefully you've you've interrogated them on so that you get a clear picture of where it hurts when it hurts why it hurts and then you know where to go with with your treatment um, and really when when you're treating people in their 60s 70s 80s you know everything's going to test weak and it's not necessarily the the main problem um and you know, i don't know about you i i had a patient he could barely he could barely pull himself far enough up to get his face into the face cradle because he's 82 years old and he has you know he has low back pain and and he's overweight and there's only so much i'm willing to to do to uh, move the patient because I don't want to hurt them. I don't want to push on anything. I don't want to pull on anything. So I just have to wait for them to take a full minute to kind of crawl or pull themselves forward to get into the face cradle before I can help them. This is not somebody I can put through a lot of muscle tests. It's just not going to happen. I have to ask them, where does it hurt? When does it hurt? And go from there. And really, for this guy, it was low back pain. And and by the way, yes, my treatments have been great, greatly helpful for him. Um, in spite of him being told to just expect to be in pain at his age with spinal stenosis, and he responds very well to electric stimulation, acupuncture on motor points, and the treatment of trigger points. Um, but 
you know, I've been able to help him because I know based on his symptoms where to look for the problems. So, okay. Sorry, I ran kind of long. Um, I will, I will blame having jet lag, but I, I hope that that was of some relevance and use to somebody out there. And, and I hope it is encouraging to people who maybe have been working in orthopedic acupuncture for enough time, two years, three years, that it's time to expand your grasp and understanding of, of how the body reacts to pain, what are the dysfunctions possible, what are the actions of the muscles, what are the antagonists of those muscles, what, what are the synergists of those muscles, what are the postural patterns that are leading to uh, dysfunction. And with that, I will close and I will hopefully uh, talk to you next week. Take care.